Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to stand and minister your word today. Thank you that we have ears to hear, not necessarily what Daryl has to say, but what the Spirit of God has to say through Daryl to us today. God, we're open. We pray, God, that you'll speak to us. May revelation knowledge just explode on the inside of us. I pray, God, that this message will challenge us to change some things in our life, maybe change some of our ideas, definitely change our belief system. Now, Father, we trust you for the anointing today. We trust you, God, that you're going to anoint us to speak your word, anoint our ears to hear the word, and we will receive from you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So uh, I came up with this title, and uh, it's nothing fancy, but it's, it's just called Christian or Disciple. Christian or Disciple. Christianity, the word Christian has, has a really a long history, but it's used sparingly in the New Testament. You'll only find the word Christian three times in the, in the Bible. And it literally means, the word Christian means little Christ. How many Christians do we have here today? Amen. Little Christ. Now that, that sounds kind of sacrilegious, doesn't it? But that's what the word Christian means, little Christ, or it could mean follower of Christ. Uh, throughout the world, I have found in my travels that the word Christian means different things. It means you're, uh, if you say I'm a Christian, it means you're a, a non-Muslim or a non-Hindu or a, you know, a, a non-Jew or whatever. Uh, but the word Christian is also used everywhere. Anybody in the States just about, you ask anybody in the States if they're a Christian, and they're going to say, yes, I'm a Christian, because they say, I live in a Christian nation. I was at a funeral yesterday, and uh, you'd be surprised at how many people think they're a Christian, but, but the, the time to start checking about uh, your, where you're going to spend eternity, and if you're really a Christian, uh, is at a funeral. You need to examine yourself and examine your life and find out, you know, am I just Christian in word? Am I just Christian in, in, in talk? Or am I living out a Christian life? Now, the word disciple, the word disciple is actually used many more times in the New Testament than the word Christian is. Christians use three times. The word disciple is used 281 times. In Matthew 28, the scripture says in verses 19 and 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Notice it doesn't say make Christians. It says make disciples. Everybody say disciples. It, 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 we're not talking, Jesus is not talking about going and getting people born again. He's talking about discipling people. And there's a difference in Christians and disciples. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach uh, these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, if, if it is our responsibility to make disciples, then how many believe it's important that we better know what a disciple is? In fact, how many knows you can't make it somebody, you can't make disciples if you're not a disciple? So we have to know what a disciple is. We have to be a disciple if we're going to make disciples. Now, in our modern day preaching, we hear a lot of feel-good messages. We hear a lot about, you know, we're blessed, we're prosperous, we're healed, we're, you know, we're, we're free of this, and all that stuff's good. But Jesus said that our main responsibility, the great commandment, the great commission, is to go and make disciples. Yeah. 
And so, uh, you know, the word disciple uh, has a longer history, a meaning in history, than the word Christian does. In fact, the word uh, uh, disciple uh, dates back to 500 years before Jesus was ever on the face of the earth. And it represented a, uh, a, a learner or, or an apprentice, uh, apprentice. And that's the same kind of paradigm that Jesus followed in his teaching of his disciples, uh, a student, teacher, uh, master, apprentice type uh, uh, teaching program. And so it says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, just stay with me a little bit while I, while I uh, idle my motor and we'll get taken off here in just a minute. Matthew four nineteen, Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say I'm going to make you a, <clears throat> I'm not going to make you <clears throat> a, 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 a person that gets people saved. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now listen, let's look at these let's look at these three phrases. Follow me, I'll make you and fishers of men. Follow me, come and follow me. First of all, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus closely. You follow his teachings. We follow him and that simply means we're setting aside our agenda, our schedule and I'm going to follow him. How many of those the disciples had to set aside their lifestyle, had to set aside their careers to follow Jesus. So to follow him simply means I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to obey him. And then it goes on and says, and I will make you. Say make you. A disciple is someone that is willing to be changed by Jesus. Are you willing to be changed by Jesus? And as, as we follow him and the closer we get to him, the more we want to change and become more like him. That's what a, that's what a, a disciple and a follower does. The follower tries to get closer and closer and be more like his uh, mentor. And so, uh, you know, Jesus says, I will, I will make you. Uh, number, number three says, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, we as a disciple are to be engaged in the mission of Jesus. Now listen closely. A lot of people have their own mission. A lot of people have their own mission statement. They've got their own set of goals. They've got their own, uh, you know, things that they want to accomplish. But I, I'm telling you what, we're not transformed to, to, to embark on a mission of our choosing, we are transformed to follow the mission that Jesus has set before us. Amen. And so what does it mean to be a disciple? I'm going to give you some scriptures right now, and, and some of you may have a hard time swallowing this, just like the disciples of Jesus had a hard time swallowing some of his words. I mean, was, Jesus said some things one time that was so strong that people turned around and left him. And he looked at his disciples, and he said, are you going to leave too? Is this too hard for you? And so... Uh, you know, we, we've kind of sugarcoated our walk with God, and some people are Christians, but they've never gone on to be that disciple or such a close follower of Jesus that they become like him. So I want us to uh, look at, uh, where am I? What's, what do I want to look at? Was it Luke something? Luke, uh, Luke 14. Yeah, we're going to read whatever that is, 25 through 35. And I want you to listen closely as we read this verse of scripture here. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around to them and he said, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. That's a hard pill to swallow. 
Come on, give me a head shake or a yes or a no or something. He, come on, Jesus, are you kidding me? I mean, your social media account is up in the thousands now. You're way up there, and you got a lot of followers. It just said large crowds were following him. And the first thing you say to them is you got to hate everyone else in comparison to him. Now he begins to list the people that we're supposed to hate. This is, this is mind-boggling. I mean, I mean, this is the B-I-B-L-E, right? Is this the red-letter edition? Some of you don't know because it looks like white letters, but in the Bible, it's the red-letter edition. Jesus is speaking, and here is what he says. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. This is a hard saying, isn't it? For who would begin, and don't begin, don't begin until you count the cost. I'm going to tell you something, Christianity has a cost. Discipleship has a cost. He said, don't begin until you count the cost. Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might only complete the foundation before running out of money, then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started a building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers that are marching against him? If he can't, he will send a a a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Woo, what a hard saying. But how many knows Jesus knows what he's doing? He knows what he's saying. He's not trying to lead us astray. He's not trying to get us to just to, 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 to live in poverty. And Jesus is wanting us to get to a place that we trust what he says. And this is why today we have many, many uh, uh, Christians, but very few disciples in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to become a disciple and so uh, he goes on in the next verse, and uh, this, uh, this next verse just seems to come out of nowhere. You know, he, he, he's saying, you hate everybody, you got to hate everybody. And then he says in that next verse, salt is good for seasoning. Say that with me. Salt is good for seasoning. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? You just, you just got finished telling us to denounce everyone and denounce everything, and then in the next breath you say, salt is good for seasoning? I mean, you went from discipleship to the food network just like that. <laughs> What's going on, Jesus? It's like, I mean, it's like he changed the whole subject right in front of us. Look, but I'll tell you something. This all goes together. Let's put it together. Now, I don't know about you, but I like salt. Darlene loves salt. How about you? Salt is good. I like to go to restaurants that know how to give liberal amounts of salt. I don't care about those establishments that have suddenly become uh, wanting to take care of me with giving me no salt. They're concerned about my health. I want to tell you something. My health's my business. I say it again. My health is my business. Stop telling me I'm a fat preacher, okay? My health is my business. I won't say you're skinny if you don't say I'm fat, okay? 
So only my wife has that ability to say that. If I want to be healthy, how many knows I don't need Chick-fil-A to tell me that I'm going to be healthy and not give me any salt with my potato chips or my uh, waffle fries? You ever go to a, you ever go through a drive-through and you say, "Would you give me some salt?" And they give you one little packet of salt. Makes you want to drive through the drive-through again. And say, "Can I have some more salt?" One little packet of salt's not for me. Where Chick-fil-A has failed, McDonald's has excelled. Because when you go through their drive-through and you ask for French fries, you can actually see it. It gets all over your fingers. You have to wipe it on your pants before you can keep driving. Am I right? They don't care about your health. They don't care about your blood pressure. McDonald's don't care. Just salt them down good. But I don't like it when restaurants try to tell me I have to cut back on my salt. It's my business. Amen. Man, I like, I love, there's nothing better than McDonald's fries. Now, I love Chick-fil-A waffles, waffle fries, but I'm not, with with one packet of salt, it's not going to do it. Okay. Starbucks don't even have salt in their building, so don't even ask for it. Amen. So, uh, I messed up here. Hang on just a minute. <clears throat> salt is great. I've got a, I, I, in doing my research for this message, I, uh, I, I, I Googled, how many knows Google knows everything, right? So I, I Googled uh, uh, salt and the things salt can do. And it came up with, uh, let me see here, I wrote it down here somewhere. I think I have it right here. I took a picture of it. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Besides making food delicious, it's believed that there are more than 14,000 uses for salt, and our grandmothers were probably familiar with most of them. 14,000. So I'm beginning a series today, one through 14,000, on what salt is good for. We're going to be here for the next 14,000 weeks. <clears throat> no, I only, only want to talk about two or three of them tonight, but... Uh, there's way too much to try to go into all of them. But you, did you know that you can use salt to test to see if an egg is rotten or not? You can put an egg in a, in a cup of water and put two tablespoons of salt in it, and if it sinks, it's good. If it floats, it's a bad egg. There, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with salt. Uh, salt was used for, for cleaning before the chemicals came out, before all the, the fancy chemicals came out. People would clean with salt. And Jesus gives us this sermon about hating, by comparison, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, and even your own self. And so, uh, how many of us, evidently, Jesus is not worried about winning a popularity contest. I don't read anywhere in that verse of Scripture where Jesus says, can I hear an Amen. I don't see anywhere in there where Jesus is worried about if he's going to have any followers tomorrow. He just tells the truth. He lays it out there and tells it like it is. If you, if you, if you, if you can't do what I've asked you to do, you can't be my disciple. Amen. Uh, by comparison, by comparison, that's the key. Do you love me or your children more? Do you, do you love me or your wife more? By comparison, that's what he's saying. Who do you love the most? If it comes down to me or her, who do you love? I already know who my wife would choose. I know exactly who my wife would choose. She would choose Jesus over me any day of the week. And that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. You know what? She worships Jesus. She don't worship me. 
And so, if, uh, you know, I, I think we need, to, we need to settle this today. Uh, you know, and you think, Jesus? Jesus wants me to hate my mother? Jesus wants me to hate my father? They born me. How in the world can I hate the people that born me? And in comparison, he said, by comparison, I need you to hate everyone. You've got such a love for Jesus that, it, that the love that you have for your spouse or your children seems almost like hate. Think of Bradley, how difficult that is. Do you, you know, we, everybody around here loves little Bradley. You know, what, what a beautiful little boy he is. And, and the Lord is saying, hate your son in comparison to the love that you have for me. Wow. And not only that, I need you to pick up your cross. I need you to pick up your cross. I need you to follow me. Now, don't do it, he says, unless you've counted the cost. Don't, don't say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to become a follower of Christ. I'm going to become a disciple of Christ. You better count the cost because I'm going to tell you something. It's going to cost you. You know what? Following Jesus, you'll have good days, but you're also going to have bad days. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I know we don't like that kind of preaching, do we? We don't like to hear we're going to have bad days. But listen, the truth of the matter is there's going to be some days that we get up and we feel crummy. There's going to be some mountaintops and there's going to be some valleys. That's life, folks. Frank Sinatra told us all about that, didn't he? That's life. And you know what? When I hear preachers get up and say, you know, it's going to be a rosy road from the day you accept Jesus to the day you die and go home, I'm thinking you're, telling, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. It's, the difference is when we go through the valley or we go through the tough days, Jesus is with us. We're not alone. Don't let anybody ever tell you it's just going to be a rosy road for, and, you know, a, a path of peanut butter and jelly the rest of your life. It's not going to be that way. But he does promise to be with us on mundane Monday and blue Monday and terrible Tuesday and hump day on Wednesday. I don't, I don't understand that hump day stuff. You know, well, we're, we're up over the top, and now it's a downhill slide the rest of the week. Well, you know what? It don't have to be Freaky Friday. Amen? Amen. Or Windy Wednesday. Joyce Meyer says this, I've been saying for a couple of years that people need to let God out of the Sunday morning box, that he doesn't want to just be with you for an hour or two on Sunday mornings and then put back into his box to sit there until you have an emergency. But he wants to invade your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So this scripture that we just read, can you imagine being in the crowd being that person, then Jesus is speaking and he's telling them what he expects of them and all of a sudden you think, oh God, I didn't know you were going to expect that much. You know, we don't tell the, we don't tell the sinner when, when we're given an altar call what Jesus expects of them. You know what we tell them? Come on down, give your life to Jesus and it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. You'll never forget this day. But you know what Jesus says? If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to pick up your cross. You're going to have to follow after me. Now, we don't hear a lot about this in the modern-day church because everybody wants their ears tickled. Everybody wants, to, everybody wants that feel-good message. Everybody wants to, you know, leave feeling like, whoo, man, I, you know, I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm blessed. Well, you know, all those things are great. And I'm telling you, I'm not changing my theology. I'm just saying Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to let everything go and follow after me. These are... Uh, these uh, competitions that we just saw in the Olympics, those people that won the gold medal, they had to let go of the cheesecake. They had to let go of the Oreo smoothies. Come on now. They had to let go of, of, of 
Bread pudding. (laughs) Took me a while to think of that one. They had to let go of those things. They had to make a commitment. I'm saying no to all that stuff. Luke and Christy have lost a ton of weight. Well, not quite a ton, but they've lost a lot of weight, but it's because they're on this this diet and they refuse to eat anything that's going to put weight on them. They're working very hard at losing weight. I I think Luke said he's lost 50 pounds. And uh, I'm not going to ask you how much you lost. But, uh, you know, it's because they've had to say no to some things. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to say no to some things. Immediately after Jesus says that, he says, salt is good. Isn't that crazy? Sound like he's talking about something totally different. Salt is good for seasoning. What? What did you say, Jesus? Salt is good. Salt is good for seasoning. It's great flavor. And then he goes on, he says, if it loses its saltiness, it's worthless. It's not good for the table, and it's not good for the manure pile. It's not good for anything. Then Jesus says this, he that has an ear, let them hear. Those that can understand, let them understand. In other words, there's going to be some that don't understand. You may walk out of here this morning scratching your head saying, I don't understand. And Jesus said, if you got ears, listen. Those that can understand, let them understand. I'm saying something without saying it because I want you to see how closely you're paying attention to me. Salt is good for flavor, but if it loses its flavor, what good is it for? I said there's 14,000 uses of salt I want to talk about three of them this morning, and then I'll let you go home. The first one is salt seasons. Everybody say salt seasons. Have you ever noticed how much better your food is without salt? Let me just do a real quick survey here. How many here do not salt your food at all? How many here salt your food? How many salt your food liberally? (laughs) Salt is good for seasoning. Jesus said it, didn't he? I'm not going to fight Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said it. uh, But but you ever see these cooking shows? Uh, My wife is addicted to these cooking shows, and so I will uh, only late at night. But but I'll be sound asleep, and and, and the TV's still going, and I'll wake up in the middle of the night and say, are you awake? Can I turn the TV off? Don't you touch that remote. I'm still watching this. But she's watching these cooking shows, and you know what they all say? They all say salt. Need to add salt. Need to put salt in. Needs to be a little saltier. You got to have a little salt. Uh, have you ever been to a restaurant and, and uh, you say, pass the salt? Of course. We've all done that, haven't we? You ever been to a family reunion and somebody's potato salad tasted dull and dry, and you say, pass the salt? I need some salt. I need something to doctor this up with. Sometimes salt will make even bad food taste good. Pass the salt. Can you imagine popcorn without salt and butter? At least without, without salt. How boring. We need something that's going to add a little pop. Amen. And Jesus said also, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 3, he says, you are to be the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you're a decorative salt shaker. He didn't say you're going to look pretty on the table. No, you need to get out of the salt shaker and get applied to to the places it needs to be applied to. Amen. If the earth, if this earth that we live in, this world that we live in is ever going to have any flavor, it's because you as a believer are pouring out on this world. We need to season everything. You need to go into the world and bring some flavor to it. How many knows there's a lot of hatred out there? 
I believe salt could kind of heal that. There's a lot of strife out there. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of cynicism. There's a lot of doubt going on in our world right now. You know what we could do? If we were salt and we would apply that salt, it could bring some healing. Can I hear an amen? Because salt does bring healing. You ever cut yourself and mama pour salt in it? Oh my God, it burns, but it brings healing. We need to bring love and peace. We need to get out of the salt shaker and shake a little love, shake a little peace, shake a little unity in, in this world. Jesus said, here's basically what he's saying. I want you to shake out of you what is in you. I put good things in you. Now let it out so that the world can be uh, 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 seasoned by what I have put in you. Is that okay today? Is this helping anybody? And so we, we need people that are so attracted to salt that they want to be around you because they know you're going to sprinkle on them. I know that sounds kind of weird, but that's the way I wrote it down. They, <laughs> they, you know, you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking, I know. Darlene and I are thinking about getting a little puppy. And that little puppy's a cute little thing, but you know what? I got a feeling he's going to sprinkle everything in the house. That's not what I'm talking about. We need to sprinkle what God has put on the inside of us and affect the world. Add a little zest, add a little flavor to our nation, to our world. Amen? And so we need people that's attracted to us. We need people who are disciples to live out their lives in such an attractive way that people want to be around you. Some people don't want to be around Christians because they're big grouches. They're grouches. They're, they're no fun to be around. They, they, you know, who wants to be around a grouch, amen? Uh, everywhere you go, everywhere you go, take something with you that makes the world taste better, amen? Bring something that will make this world a little easier to digest because, man, there's so much corruption out there. Amen, I got a note here. I want to see what I said. Oh, yeah, this, here, this was good. I mentioned this a few years ago, but one day at school, the students were making cornbread and they were getting ready to eat it when Max jumped up and said, wait, everybody. Now, you, you all know Max, right? Everybody know Max? Max just jumps up and he says, wait, everybody, we have to pray. In other words, we can't eat our cornbread before we pray. And the teacher said to him, Max, go ahead and pray. Pray quietly over your food. After he, after he prayed, five other students, one by one, prayed over their food. And then Max folded his hands and prayed again. Now, how many knows that's influence? That's what salt does. We influence the world in which we go to work every day. We influence the classroom that we go to every day. We're to be an influence everywhere we go. When I go down to the jail to talk to the deputies and those back in the detention center, I want to have an influence on them. We need to influence them. What God put on the inside of us, shake it out. Salt is no good left in the shaker. Amen. Colossians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul says that when we have our conversation with people, it should be gracious and it should be literally seasoned with salt. Literally seasoned with salt. Now, before you start telling people how you feel, telling everybody your opinion, telling everybody how you believe, giving everybody a piece of your mind, always offering your opinion, make sure it's salt and not acid. Because I'm afraid what we as believers have done is we have poured acid on people when we should be pouring salt on people. Can I hear an amen? 
Next time you post something on Facebook, make sure it's salt and not acid. Next time you have a conversation with somebody that you disagree with, make sure you leave them salted and not assaulted. That'll preach, right? Make sure you leave them salted and not assaulted. The second thing salt does is it preserves. It's not just for flavoring, but salt also uh, 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 preserves. Now, when we talk about flavoring, how many knows it's sprinkles? You don't, you don't just grab a handful of it and throw it on your food. You sprinkle it. How many know sometimes in this world when we're dealing with people, we just sprinkle a little bit to make them thirsty? How many know salt makes you thirsty? You, you don't throw it at them. You just give them a little bit. You just put a little salt coming out of the salt shaker, and, 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 and we make people thirsty for Jesus. And so when we're talking about seasoning, it's sprinkles. But when we're talking about preserving, it's like tossing. And, and here's, what I want, here's what I want you to see. Uh, a few sprinkles isn't going to do it because when we talk about uh, salt uh, being a preservative, it literally dehydrates, it draws the moisture out, it draws the bacteria out, it preserves it so it'll be good for a later time. How many, does, how many loves beef jerky? Or, or, or uh, um, what's it called? Uh, jerky. Yeah, beef jerky, that's what it is. Uh, I'm going to advertise for a place over in St. Genevieve called Oberly's. Oberly's. If you're ever over close to them, buy some of their uh, beef jerky. It is the best beef jerky in the world. But I want to tell you something. It'll leave you wanting something to drink because it is so salty. Beef jerky is loaded with salt. But you know what it does? It takes out all the, all the uh, bacteria. It takes out all the moisture. That's why you break it. You can bend it and it breaks. And so uh, what am I talking about? Preserving. When I talk about salt preserving, what am I talking about? Are you still with me today? Am I boring anybody? I'm talking about preserve, not, not using it on other people. This is not, the, 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 the seasoning is for other people. But the preserving, listen, I'm talking about preserving our values, preserving our beliefs, preserving our doctrine, not wafering and compromising and watering the, law, the word of God down so that we'll be accepted by society. I'm talking about preserving our beliefs, preserving the tenets of our faith. Somebody say amen. I'm not sprinkling now. I'm tossing the salt. I'm throwing the salt. Amen. Second thing salt does is it preserves. Okay, the last thing, last thing that salt does is it kills. Too much salt will kill. Let me give you an example. You got a crack in your driveway and weeds are coming up. How many knows one of the best things you can do is put salt on it? Now, you don't sprinkle the salt and you don't toss the salt. What do you do? You uh, pour it. You dump it in there. Salt, uh, uh, there, uh, you know, salt kills a lot of things. Uh, just enough salt is nice. A little more salt preserved, but a lot of salt kills it. And uh, salt's been used to kill things for many, many years. Uh, you dump it in the crack. The grass is going to die on the spot. Have you ever been to a restaurant and uh, you started to pour the salt on your food, and the person before you had taken the lid off and just set it on there? You probably wanted the one that did it. I know it was you, Boomer. I can tell by the way you're laughing. You've been caught. You unscrew the cap, then you, then you go over in the corner and you watch him. 
It's happened. It's happened. Uh, we've done it more with pepper than we've done with salt. But you, you know what happens when you pour that whole, that whole thing on, on your chicken fried steak? You, know what? You, don't, you don't just brush it off and say, oh, it'll be okay. No, you know what? That meal's dead. <laughs> you killed that meal, right? It's dead. It's gone. You call the waitress over and say, waitress, somebody left the lid off the salt. Look at this. You know what they'll say? Oh, that's, let me go get you a, another Kentucky or another uh, chicken fried steak. This one is what? It is ruined. Now, here's what I want to get to. We have dumped salt in places that we shouldn't have dumped it. We've sprinkled in places that was never meant to be sprinkled. And we've got to get our salt distribution correct or we're going to mess this whole thing up that Jesus is trying to teach us. You only dump the salt when something needs killing. And there's been a lot of Christians dump salt on sinners, and instead of helping them, you've driven them away. Now listen to what I'm about to say here. I'm going to make sure I get this right. The good news is for the unbelievers. Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross as the spotless Lamb of God for your sins. God loves you so much that Jesus came to this earth and gave his life for you. How many knows that's good news? Here's our problem. We've been given bad news to unbelievers and good news to believers. Are you still with me? I can tell you're listening this morning. We, we, here's, what we, here's, what we tell, here's what we tell them. Uh, here's what we tell the, uh, the believers. You know, we, we think it's good news. Everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be great. You just come on down. Everything's going to be, you're never going to be sick. You're never going to hurt. You're never going to have any needs. When the truth of the matter is, the good news is for the unbeliever. Jesus gave his life for you. Why don't you give your life to him? The good news for the unbeliever is give your life to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. Then you give your life to him, and guess what? It changes. Now, you give your life for him. You pick up your cross. You die for him. You love him more than you love your spouse, your children, uh, your parents. That's, that's, what, that's what Jesus is telling people that want to follow him. You have to hate your mama. You have to hate your daddy. You have to hate your children. You have to, you have to hate your spouse. You, you, you got to hate... Uh, He's not saying hate, hate, like hate them and not have anything to do with them, but in comparison to your love for Jesus, I love Jesus so much, it's almost like I don't even like my spouse. I don't even like, but, but I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Please don't, please don't walk out of here today and, and mess this up, okay? Now, here's, here's another thing I want you to see. And uh, worship team, you can come on up and get ready. That's your cue to get up and march forward. <laughs> we need to make sure that we dump the salt in the right spot and stop dumping salt in the wrong spot. Okay, here's what I'm advocating today. Pastor, what do I dump the salt on? What is it that we dump the salt on? Here you go. You ready for this? We dump the salt on ourselves. We season Outside the church, we, we use it to preserve, but there's some things that in our life that needs to be killed. There's some things that need to just be shot in the head. And salt kills. So I'm advocating this morning that we pour the salt on ourselves. How about this? 
How many knows our pride needs to be killed? Our lust needs to be drowned in salt because it kills. How about selfishness? We need to dump the salt on our selfishness. You don't go dumping salt on the people out in the world. You don't go dumping salt on people in the church. Well, you ought to live like this. Who do you think you are living like that? You know what's none of your business. By the way, let me just throw this in for good measure. Whatever you did in the past is in the past and is under the blood of Jesus. Now, I know it's easy for you to say amen, but I, 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 it's the truth. It's the truth. We need to not just say amen. We need to live like we really, really believe that. Has anybody messed up in the past? Of course. Would you like for your past to be up here on the screen for just a couple hours and show everybody what you did when you were a teenager? Huh? Would you like for your past to be revealed for the world to see? No, I'm so glad that Jesus has forgot about our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's removed our transgressions from us never again. Now listen, listen closely. We've all got a checkered past. <laughs> That's funny, I just pulled out my checkered handkerchief. I'm so funny. <laughs> that wasn't even planned. Now listen, listen closely. There's going to be people who come to church, and we know, we know it's coming, that may have a checkered past. But how many of those, if they're born again, and it's under the blood of Jesus, you better not hold it against them. And I mean it. I mean it. Don't hold it. Because you know what? You're no better than they are if you hold it against them. And what we have a tendency to do is we tend to pour salt on people that may have a checkered past. That's, they're forgiven. It's under the blood of Jesus. They're a brand new. I'm so glad Jesus said that you become a brand new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. So here's what I'm advocating this morning. You dump the salt on your agenda. You know, I don't feel like going to church tonight. Monday night church? What do you mean Monday night church? Dump your agenda and follow Pour that, pour that salt on there and kill it. Dump it on your pride. Dump it on your lust. Sprinkle it on everything that's in your life that doesn't line up with Jesus. Is this okay today? So it, I, I think it's important what we do with the salt. We sprinkle, we pour, and then we dump. How about that attitude? Anybody ever had an attitude besides me? Judgmental attitude, critical attitude, bad attitude, grumpy. Anybody ever been grumpy besides me? I told my wife, I think it was Wednesday night, or I think it might have been Wednesday night after the service. I'm a changing. And she told me yesterday, no, you ain't. Now I said, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm changing. But you know, there's just times that. Our attitude needs to be shot in the head. Amen? Pour some salt on it. Kill that, that past thinking, that ugliness. That, that we just need to learn to, to kill those things. Dump it on your attitude. Dump it on that attitude that always wants to talk back because you're always right and nobody else is. Dump it on that opinion. You always feel like you gotta, you always got to tell your opinion. If somebody asks you your opinion, that's okay. But don't go around giving your opinion just because, you know, you think that makes you smarter than everybody else. Somebody say amen. How about that spirit of, that spirit of uh, laziness? How about that spirit of stinginess? 
Just pour some salt on it and watch, see what the Holy Ghost can do with you. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I believe that if we will start dumping salt on those things in our life that don't match up with Jesus, we'll find that even generational curses are going to be broken over our lives. Those things that we seem to have inherited in our DNA or spiritual uh, curses that have been passed down. You know, you know, I like what somebody said the other day. Said, Jesus might be in your heart, but your grandpa's in your bones. Think about it. How many of those we do have a DNA that's passed down from generation to generation? And there's sometimes things that are passed down, even though Jesus is in your heart, need to be dealt with. Amen. So this morning, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just mind just doing this for just a moment? Bow your head, close your eyes. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? I want you just to, I want everybody just to be real quiet. Be real quiet for just a moment, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? And reflect on his answer. Wait just a moment. What are you saying to me, Jesus? What is it that you want us to do? Flavor the earth, preserve the truth, and kill every selfish motive that we have. I'm going to say it again. Flavor the truth, preserve, uh, flavor the earth, preserve the truth, and kill every selfish motive that we have. Right in the middle of his sermon on becoming a disciple, he throws in salt is good for seasoning. You think the Lord may be calling us to be disciples today? To lay aside our agenda and follow the master? Lay aside our plans and follow the master? Maybe you had plans this afternoon to do something, but would you be open? Would you be open if the Holy Ghost said, go visit Ken and Bonnie weekly? Would you be willing to lay aside your schedule? to go out and spend 30 minutes with Ken and Bonnie Weekly, who's been out of church a year and a half, don't have Wi-Fi, don't have internet, can't watch the services, can't listen to the services. Would you be willing to lay aside your agenda and become a disciple of Christ? What if he was to ask you today, forget the yard work and take a meal over to so-and-so and bless them today. Would you be willing to lay aside your agenda? You were going to go home after church, but you're getting this urging on the inside of you. Maybe I need to take so-and-so out to lunch today. They, they could use the encouragement. You see, this is what a disciple of Christ does. We follow the mission of Christ. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. My hope and prayer today is that we will make that decision to be a disciple, not just a Christian, but a disciple. And then 
Then we can fulfill Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And yes, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Father, we thank you for this word today. If you're willing today, if you're willing today to, to become a disciple or a better disciple and more than just a believer, I want everybody just, I want you to just come down and kneel around the front this morning. Would you just come down around the front and let's make an altar. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we say, Lord, I want to be a disciple of Christ. I'm willing to pick up my cross. I'm willing to follow after you. I'd like to just see people come in and say, Lord, that's me, that's me, that's me. You know what? I know it's me too. Come on, let's just take it back.